This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is James Danina of Snow Software, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 651. You know, we have this five-year manifesto. It's like our North Star of, all, of where we want to go over five years. It includes the five-year financial plan. It's a, it's a five-year view. And then every function's got a plan, right? So products knows what they're going to deliver in 2021. Engineering's part of that. You know, the marketing team has certain initiatives. Everyone's got initiatives and plans. And so the hard part of the job is less about any individual metric. It's more about how do you marry together these discrete plans into a cohesive business strategy? Back in 2018, just prior to joining Avalara as CFO, Royce Tannenbaum was a managing director at Goldman Sachs when he recalls having conversations with a number of senior executives from Slack Technologies. As he posed questions to Slack executives, Tannenbaum says he noticed the members of Slack's senior management team would frequently permit other executives stationed along the conversation's periphery to answer on their behalf. At first, Tannenbaum says he recalls thinking the sideline contributors might be chiefs of staff for the senior Slack executives. Later, Tannenbaum learned the leadership sidekicks were members of Slack's business operations team, a cluster of analysts Tannenbaum describes as being cousins to Slack's FP&A and finance teams. On today's show, CFO Tannenbaum explains how he's today building out Avalara's extended family of business ops and FP&A experts to better wire the organization for data-driven decision-making. We begin after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-size organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Ross Tannenbaum, CFO of Avalara. Ross, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be on the show. I've been listening for, for a while now. Uh-oh, a listener as well yep. as a guest. You'll, you'll get a, a second stripe on your sleeve after today. What uh, When you look back, Ross, as you know, this is our drill. As you look back, try to identify some of those experiences you feel prepared you for the CFO role that you have today. What what comes to mind? Yeah, sure, Jack. Uh, well, you, you know, it's funny. With with an investment banking career, which which is really my background, 
you know, there's always those experiences around corporate finance and financial statements and M&A and IPOs. You know, I think that's all given. But, you know, I really I really want to talk about a few different stories that give some some incremental dimensions. Um, and the first one takes me back to around 1999, uh, where I was a founding employee at a at a at a software startup called Viac Corporation. It was actually a collaboration software st startup. So it was you know, the early stages of what is like Zoom today. Uh, we were way before our time. It, it didn't work out all that well in the end, Jack, but but it was an awesome experience. And, and I was the accounting person. It was me in the department. Um, and I didn't take the path of public accounting like like other CFOs. So this was really important to my development. And, and I was really, it taught me about the fundamental underpinnings of accounting, you know, literally doing quote to cash, literally walking out to the mailbox and, and mailing invoices and receiving checks and posting them to the ledger, you know, procure to pay, accounts payable, fixed assets, a lot of the accounting for software development and software revenue recognition. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because I really didn't know what I was doing at that time, Jack. And, and uh, we hired a CFO consultant and that person worked with me every day on how to learn these processes and do the, do the work. And then it moved to helping me with monthly close, and then it was quarterly close, and then they became our auditor and, and was just basically auditing all the work I was doing. And so that really taught me the underpinnings. And I think for those of you who are not classically trained accountants, having that hands-on experience around working in the accounting department so you understand the underpinnings, you know the questions to ask, you know how to hire and scale a team, you know, those, th those were really, really important experiences you know, to some of the areas that I have to manage today around the accounting side. You know, the, the other, two other experiences, Jack, and they're both from my investment banking days. And, and one really regards learning how to position information and communicate a story. You know, everything for me is about the storyline. And I think many finance leaders overlook this because they think in numbers. But as you graduate to higher levels, whether you're a CFO or a manager, or an investment banker, it's all about transformation into a story and, and really being able to assimilate the key takeaways. And I remember vividly one of my early M&A deals. Uh, I was on the buy side for a large, uh, well-known consumer electronics company. And I was excited. Uh, uh, I got to go camp out in their office in the Bay Area. And we were building this operating model for a multi-billion dollar acquisition of one of their main competitors. And I was really excited because we were really learning the financial model. It wasn't just like an analyst modeling in their in their room. It was like working with the operators to build out how this would look and really understand how networking capital is like really important to managing their business. And, and we were just we were just really working through the night preparing this presentation and we were going to present it to the board. And in the car ride with my managed director over to the board meeting, I was working on prepping him on the details. And I remember he asked me this question, very simple question, Jack. Hey, what? remind me what the revenue is for next year. And he did it as a test. He knew what the revenue was for next year. He did it as a test. I had no idea. I was so deep in the weeds of the analysis. I had no idea what just the top line revenue was. And, and I can vividly recall the MD going on to present to the board this really high level compelling story for why this acquisition made sense. And he really synthesized the details into a cohesive story at the right altitude for the board. And so the point here, Jack, is I really learned through banking, the capability to rapidly sift through financial information to synthesize a story 
that can then be shared at the right altitude to various audiences. And I really think this helps people understand information better and enables them to make better decisions faster. And it's just a really important uh, uh, asset for, for a financial leader, in my opinion. And then Jack, I'll give you one more if you want. And that is, is, um, is around strategy. It's learning about strategy investment banking. Um, and I remember when I started in banking, I remember asking some peers, how is it that we go into boards and CEOs, tell them what they should do with their company and what is going on in their industry? I was like, shouldn't they know this way better than we are? And what I realized through the course of that career is that Times operators have blinders on. Uh, they're deeply executing their business. Uh, they often miss the outside in view, what their competitors are doing, how the landscape is changing, you know, all that kind of stuff they often miss. And it's really easy to get deep in the weeds and focus on the tactics and the risks and easily lose that, that, that bigger picture. And really, as finance leaders, you know, I've learned that it is our job to see that bigger picture and to feed it to our teams and help them manage to it. And so what do I do? I force myself to try to elevate my mindset and think strategically. And I have to be honest, sometimes this is really difficult. I literally put time on my calendar, you know, that blocks it out, that forces me to think at a little bit of a higher level picture. I really have to work on it. And then the other thing I do is I typically bring in outside in views, bankers, accountants, lawyers, industry consultants, and I'm always bringing people in to help ensure that we're seeing all sides. And then lastly, from an employee perspective, uh, I really believe in rotating key athletes in your business. Um, you know, you're really, and, and, and I guess say into it, I used to cover into it, and Brad Smith, their former CEO, did this amazingly. He took, they had a leader of their small business practice and a leader of their tax business, the, you know, both key businesses. And they were doing awesome. And somewhere in the middle of all that, he just rotated. He just said, you're going to go there and you're going to go there. And a lot of leaders would be worried about the risk. But he said, the next CEO of this company, and one of them is now the next CEO, is now the current CEO, needs to understand the whole business. And that'll bring a whole new way of thinking to the other side. So I fundamentally believe in that. And that, that's some, some of the practices that, that I've been employing at Avalara. Wow. Thank you for those three wonderful experiences. And I know our listeners enjoyed hearing them. Uh, I want to point out that not unlike many finance leaders we speak to, you did finish an MBA program. And if I'm not mistaken, you were, uh, you used that to segue from the software startup you mentioned to Wall Street, uh, where, as you explained so well, how you acquired uh, the skill, and I wrote this down, uh, to synthesize a story that can be shared at the right altitude to various audiences. I love that. And I think uh, here's something we're doing with the podcast, which is to help finance leaders uh, put their strategic storytelling <laughs> skills to the test um, and at the same time expose where those skills are often garnered. And you did that so well for us. So thank you for that. And then um, I, I'm curious about... Why and 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 it might be good just to ask about Avalara at this point because I, I gotta believe you got an operations itch again. Something drew you back into it. And again, I'll mention to the listeners you were at Credit Credit Suisse as well as Goldman Sachs, where you're there over four years, nearly five years. So 
I have to believe there are many companies that perhaps, you know, you might have been able to step into in the tech world. You were at Goldman Sachs. You were looking over uh, software investment banking for them. Uh, I have to believe there were, you had your choice. Uh, so let's begin with me just saying, tell us about Evalara. What was it about this company that you thought, you know, here's something I could I could really make a difference. I could have impact. What What brought you there? Yeah, no, it's, first of all, you got all that right. And, and you know, I always, I did have that itch to get back into a company after about 10 years in investment banking. I, and I loved investment banking. It taught me great things. But I always knew, Jack, that I would get back into a company. And I had some really cool opportunities in 2018. And, and as, as you point out, I selected Avalara um, for, for, for some of the things. So let me tell you what we do. And, and I think it's relevant, you know, to, to, to our listeners here. Um, you know, we're a publicly traded SaaS company, or, you know, these days, it, cloud is the more appropriate term, you know, that it, it's a cloud compliance company that focuses on technology to automate indirect tax compliance. And so what does that mean? Nearly every business globally is subject to some kind of indirect tax compliance requirement. That would be sales tax in the U.S. or VAT or GST internationally. And it's a really complex problem that really has been in existence since, since the Egyptians. You know, I mean, Jack, our country was founded on a sales tax dispute. And many people think this problem has been solved, but the reality is most companies are doing it manually or spending a lot of money to be compliant. And so we're really that software solution that automates it all. And, and we have a series of products. It enables companies to calculate the taxes, populate and remit tax returns and, and make the payments to the jurisdictions. Uh, we can handle sales tax exemptions, deal with cross-border customs, duties, and import taxes, uh, consumer use tax, you know, all, all, the, all the activities that, that, you know, really the office of the CFO deals with, uh, you know, with this, this big headache that, that our government levies on, on our companies. Um, and so why did I join? Because um, uh, I, I, had I had covered the company. It was funny, Jack. I, I started covering the company as my client. Uh, uh, in 2014. So I've known the company about seven years at Credit Suisse. And then when I moved to Goldman, I continued to cover the company as my client and I led the IPO in 2018. And so I've known this company for seven years. And what I always admired, it reminded me of a payroll company called Ultimate Software that I also covered. Um, and it was a company that you know went and disrupted a lot of other payroll companies. And really, if you think about it, everyone's got to pay their employees. And in a digital world, it's really absurd to think that you're going to do payroll in-house manually. Everyone's adopting payroll. Sales tax is the same thing. We think 10, 20 years, everyone's going to automate just like they do payroll because it's really complex. It's really hard to do. It's costly to do. And it's really costly to get wrong. And so nowadays with automation, like our solution, you can go do that. And we just think over time, everyone's got to automate. So I... I saw this really big opportunity where we were single digit penetrated. Everyone's going to adopt long term. And I said, wow, you know, really op great opportunity to create value for the employees and our shareholders and myself. And I love the team. I got to know them. I love the team. I think that's really, really important at the end of the day. And, uh, and, and hence, hence I joined. Um, so, so that's really what, what brought me, what brought me to the company. And, you know, we've done well and, you know, we're one of the fortunate companies that in COVID, uh, 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 we're proving that we're a strong company in, in good times as well as challenging times. It's clear that you knew this company better than 95% uh, of the CFOs who step into their, to the office for the first time. 
you knew this company, you knew all its history, you knew uh, all its financials, most likely. As you land in the office, what is it that you want to achieve within your first year? And again, you arrive in 2019 and, uh, you know, so you've been there a while. What is it that you tried to uh, accomplish within that first period? Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for us, um, I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, and, and really the benefit of knowing the company for years is really an important point, Jack. Because some people, you know, they're longtime CFOs. They know how to be a great CFO, but then they got to go learn the company and the team. And, and to me, the hardest part is really getting deep into understanding the company, the underpinnings of how it works and working cohesively with the team and working across the aisles. And so I did, to your point, have that benefit of really understanding the company and the team at depth coming in. And where I took over, <clears throat> we're really in this point now at about you know half a billion in revenue where we're going from a what I would say a dual product US centric company to a multi-product global company. And we're doing that at a rapid growth rate of about 30, 30% year-over-year -year growth. And so we're progressing nicely on this journey from a product perspective, from a sales perspective, but the back office, as is typical, is lagging behind. I think for many of the CFOs who listen to this podcast, you all can probably relate to finance and HR and legal and IT, you know, in the back office, getting limited investment and accruing technical debt while the front side of the house is really trying to rapidly move and change. And so they're foisting all this change on you. And we as CFOs are trying to manage it all. Um, and I think it takes a real effort and level investment in talent and systems and controls to support to support this kind of change. So, so for us, you know, I just think about, I'll give you an example, like quote to cash, right? You know, everything from quoting a deal all the way through invoice and bookings, recognizing revenue, receiving the cash, really, really critical process, right? And when you have two products sold in one country, you know, all those permutations and changes are manageable. But when you move to where we are now, which is like seven products with various bundles, many geographies, many partners, you know, there's so many permutations that we can quickly hit a wall, you know, where we can't scale it, Jack. And so for me, it's not about what we're what, what I've inherited and what we're doing today, because we I inherited a really strong public company ready finance and accounting team, but it's really about scaling it for rapid growth over the next five years and putting in new systems, new processes, new controls, and the talent to really be able to scale us over the next five years. And, 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 and that's financial operations. On the FP&A side, we're really building out that organization to move us from, I think some companies' FP&A is more about reporting the news, and we really want to move FP&A to some, an organization that can help drive our business and make data really make data-driven decisions and help us move faster. And, and I think COVID, Jack, has really accelerated all this. I took over when COVID started, and all of a sudden we need to be really precise on expense, really precise on cash management, really percent precise on forecasting. So it's really allowed me to get the investment dollars needed to build out our FP&A team to move us from you know, reporting on the news to really driving the business forward. 
We always like to discover how uh, finance leaders look at their world. And, uh, you know, that, of course, comes down to metrics. And uh, we're wondering whether there's a particular one that uh, it would be uh, your team would be uh, like, oh, we know Ross is going to be asking us about that today. Or So since you arrived, is there a certain business dynamic uh, that you're looking to measure, that you're looking to alert uh, the organization to, to change behaviors around or whatever it might be. Does any particular measure become top of mind for you? Well, you know, Jeff, we have a number of top level measures, metrics that we monitor. Um, So we really focus on various slices of bookings, new bookings, upsell bookings, renewal bookings. Uh, We focus on calculated billings, uh, we focus on various slices of revenue, uh, you know, churn, customer churn, gross churn, net churn, and then net retention rate, which is an indicator of you know, how much we're upselling our customers versus, you know, down, versus downsell or churn. Uh, and then we have various customer health metrics. So I think we've done a good job of covering all, all, all the SaaS metrics. I think the opportunity we have is to really push the PL and the metrics down into the organization because there's there's a disconnect, and this is pretty common from what I've seen. There's a disconnect between you got these top level measures that you report out on, but how is that really attached down into the organization to what you know the everyday operators are actually doing? And how do you assign those metrics or give responsibility those metrics to deeper in the organization so they feel ownership and, and are accountable? To helping driving the outcomes and and to me you know that's the impactful part of, of the cfo job is marrying all the various ideas and plans into a cohesive you know business strategy and so when i think about it in avalara speak you know we have this five-year manifesto it's like our north star of all of where we want to go over five years and include the five-year financial plan it's a, it's a five-year view and then every year we do our business priorities. So right now we're working our 2021 business priorities. And then, and then part of the budgeting process, we have our bookings forecast for each product and business line. And then every function's got a plan, right? So products knows what they're going to deliver in 2021. Engineering's part of that. You know, the marketing team has certain initiatives. Everyone's got initiatives and plans. And so the hard part of the job, Jack, it's less about any individual metric. It's more about how do you marry together these discrete plans into a cohesive business strategy? And then how do you put, you know, these key metrics around it and make them really visible, right? And I think the key, what I see is some companies put in no metrics and they don't review them and they're just too top level metric, don't push down, that's where we've been. Or they've got a lot of metrics and they push them down, but they don't do a good job of every month updating them and reviewing them and quickly assessing where they're on and off track and making change. And so my, our goal for, for our business over the next year is to really be able to bind these things together, have a cohesive business strategy underlined by metrics, not too many, it goes back to measure what matters by John Doerr, right? It's, it's put in the metrics, keep it simple, can't do too many, make them a bit of a stretch, and, and, and you got to constantly review them and see where you're off target and, and course correct. So, so that's, that's what we're focused on versus, versus any specific new type of metric, Jack. 
I'm curious, as an investment banker, of course, and we hear this frequently, um, you know, you're always peering into these companies and you, you're always identifying the challenges they face or where the trouble spots might be. Uh, but here you are now within the organization. You have that different perspective looking up. And of course, we're in COVID too. I, you know, I think I would say you're sort of that uh, visionary storytelling type of CFO who can who can help communicate on several levels. Uh, but in this environment where you're only left really with video and Zoom calls, perhaps, how can you be as effective as you uh, would ordinarily be? I mean, you're someone who has a presence as you walk through the halls, uh, as you walk into meetings, as you drive home those points across a conference table. Uh, it would seem to me that the skill set that you have is can be challenged in this environment as well. You know, Jack, I haven't found that to be the case. Um, you know, and I, I would say we as a software and technology company are, are fortunate and I'm very thankful about it because we've been able, we were able to in a month, you know, March, April, move to a full work from home environment and uh, and really, really do very well on the operation side and the business is doing well. And as you point out, we are conducting business fully work from home over Zoom and and there's a lot of there's there are new challenges that we have to work through as an organization. You know, people talk about burnout. They talk about no no balance between you know work 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 and home life. Um, but I I have not found it a challenge to be effective and and a leader in this time or through digital media such as Zoom. Um, I think that at the end of the day, it really what matters is leadership, and it's really about painting the vision for what we're doing and where we're going. And it's really about congregating and having each other's backs and helping each other out through tough times. But you know, to, to give you a, a, an example, when I, talk, I talked about FP&A and where we're trying to move from reporting to really moving the business and driving the business. Um, and when you sit in the room with the FP&A team building out and, and I explained some scenarios I've seen in the past, um, you know, you're able to articulate a vision where, hey, you guys have just been kind of reporting the news and going to quarterly meetings with operating leaders to say, here's where you are in headcount and budget. You know, how do you like that? Are you are you driving the business? You know, how do you feel about the partnership? And, you know, they're kind of like, it's not so interesting. And I was like, where we want to go is an FP&A organization where you're tied to the hip of the operational leaders. And when they have complex questions, you have the answers effectively driving the business and when you when you start to talk about the next set of years and and where we're going you know you see these people light up and say that's exciting that's career building i'm learning more and and i'm engaging you know across the business and in more interesting things and and that's how we got to do it and and so i i've been lucky because i took over in a time of covid and i was able to come up with new strategies for the finance department where we're going. And so that got people excited in a time that otherwise, you know, is not so exciting. But but the Zoom thing has worked out really well for us, Jack. And 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 you've got to you've got to be malleable and flexible and change your ways. But 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 so far, so far so good. We've begun to speak to finance leaders uh, more about the workforce and talent. And you've mentioned you you placed an emphasis on talent and in, in relation to how Avalara is scaling and how uh, talent is such an important piece of that. You just mentioned how the FP&A team is counting heads. They, they are, they are, they understand where the costs are. Um, 
But given that talent investment that organizations uh, make today, we've been asking finance leaders whether they think they have uh, the lines of sight into their talent investment that they do in other pieces of the business. Can you share with us some of your thoughts on on talent and finance and uh, you know that intersection and whether you think you you uh, have a a good uh, view of your talent investment today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, talent is the most important thing in an organization across any function, as I think everybody knows. You know, it's the majority of the cost, and you know, great great leaders do great things. And and uh, you know what I what I would say is we have a great team. I, I was blessed to have taken over with a great team. And anytime you come in, you start to assess your talent. And as I look at Avalara as an organization, we're doing many things to mature as an HR group to really better understand our talents, you know, and that goes into classic HR practices of, you know, just having, you know, twice a year proper, proper leveling and proper uh, uh, processes that allow you to assess talent and record it and track people. And then it's all about how you motivate people and how you move people and give them a path for career development. And you identify the great athletes and you help them rise up. And so we've gone through that. We're, we're maturing, to be honest, as, as an organization. You know, over the last year, we've really taken some major step forward. We've got more to go on that. Um, from a finance perspective, uh, we've got a great team. I, my senior leaders are very strong across the board. And so for me, it's been trying to work with them to assess, you know, various layers of the bench. You know, go down three layers deep, really identify our talent. The, you know, the obvious ones, but it's really the not so obvious ones, the ones, you know, that are in the middle of the nine box that you want to move up to a star and 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 that have the capability and they just require the investment. Um, and then personally, I'm, and so we're, we're making a lot of investments in identifying it, Jack, and then trying to invest in the people that we think are great, that we want to keep and we want we want to build careers around. And that's hard to do. And, and I can't say that we've been great at it, but but we're getting much better at it. Um, um, and then the other thing is I'm always recruiting, you know, I must spend 20% plus or minus of my time recruiting. And that is one helping other leaders across the organization where they have key jobs and, I, and I'm part of the recruiting process, but I'm always looking at, 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 at talent out there, whether there's a job rack approval or not, I believe you got to always be out there working your network, working other people's networks, expanding the scope, positioning Avalara is a great company to work for getting inbounds, talking to people, because you never know when you're going to need someone. Or even better, we found people when we didn't need someone who were like, this person is awesome, and we're going to create the budget and bring them into the organization because, because they're really going to make a difference. So I, I really encourage finance leaders to try to, to allocate some extra time to be continuing to uh, uh, recruit and be out there, even if you don't actually need somebody. So is there a question that you think Wall Street perhaps has failed to ask management when it comes to their talent investment or how they manage their people? But let me just begin with maybe the the, the question. Do you agree really that uh, Wall Street doesn't really have a, a fix on uh, workforce culture and how to measure it and how to look into businesses and, and quickly detect uh, something's not right here or would you agree with that? Yeah, Jack, I think you're on to something there. Um, and, and having experienced 
many companies and management teams from investment banking, um, you know, I saw teams that were really high functioning, really strong, great cultures. And I saw, you know, management teams, executive teams that were, you know, not a cohesive team. And, and there was a lot of distrust and there was backstabbing and, and, and both could have great numbers and be performing well, you know, but I would think I would want to invest my money in the one that has that trusted cohesive team um, that, that, that's really driving forward in a, in a healthier cultural way. And, and, and I don't think that Wall Street has a view. There is really no metric internally and certainly not externally that gives that view. And I think investors, you know, are trying to get more talent into talent and culture. They're trying to do interviews with various outside parties. Um, they're, they're focused more on ESG, the environmental, social, and governance stuff, which, which hits a little bit. Um, we're focused more on diversity, which is really, really important. So there is more focus from Wall Street that gets to these things, but I don't see yet a magic bullet yet that they can really understand into the underlying culture and, and team dynamics. And I think that's so important, Jack, because like I said, having an executive team that really functions well, really trusts each other and breeds this culture, a certain type of culture, I think will separate a long-term star and, uh, 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 performer from, from, not, from, from, from one that does not. And internally, we're very focused on diversity. We're very focused on doing things that, that bring together people in team dynamics. We're very focused on bringing in outside uh, consultants and help us create high octane, te high octane teams, increase velocity, and really building out that culture. And it, it's hard to do, Jack, but, but it's really, really important, I think, when you think about a 10-year business and you think about the long-term vision and plan. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I did throw you a few extra uh, questions, Ross. So I want to jump to our uh, finance strategic moment question. Now, this could have been any time during the course of your career. And it's where uh, your lines of sight into the organization as a finance executive, as a finance leader, allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk and you responded to it. You took action. Does anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, yeah, this is, a, I love this question, Jack. I, lo I love some of the answers that your other CFOs give, but, but you, you know, this is a great one. Um, and for me, and I've alluded to some of this already, um, this goes back to, I'd say 2018, I was in San Francisco working with Slack, uh, who, who I think you all know, uh, and, and you probably use every day. Um, and what I noticed as I was working with the company before I left banking to go to Avalara, I was working on their IPO. And what I noticed was like pretty much every executive, whether it was their CEO, CFO, product officer, CTO, whoever it was, was like most of them had a sidekick. And at first I thought this was some kind of chief of staff type role. But then I realized like when there were meaningful questions, you know, about the business, the executive would really turn to the sidekick for answers. And, um, you know, I learned about these sidekicks were part of what they call their biz ops team you know, which, which, uh, which were cousins with the FP&A team and the finance team, but really focused on the key metrics and, and special projects and analytics. And this team was so incredible, Jack. I mean, I, I really wanted to be on this team. They literally had an analytical answer to like every question about their business. They had their business just really so dialed in and such a deep understanding in numbers. It was super, super impressive. And what I learned was, 
you know, they were partnered with their execs and they had the ability to quickly make data driven, driven decisions and, and, and quickly, you know, come up with answers to really complex problem. And it's a very powerful capability. So as I alluded to before, when I think of FP&A, a lot of people think about internal reporting, external reporting, the budget process, you know, really, really important things and some forward looking things. But what I think about is that Slack biz ops team. How can I work with our partners across the business to really dial in the business in an analytical way? Go back to, you know, creating not just budgets, but operational plans that tie strategies and tactics to key metrics that we can constantly report out on and be very visible in a dashboard, real-time dashboard type way so that we can see when things are trending up or trending down and be able to more quickly take action. I think that painting that picture for our team and setting that as a goal to what we wanna to develop to, we're not there now, but that's where we wanna go, is a super exciting mission that can really take finance from a point of you know, being a partner in the business to helping really drive the business. When we come back, Ross Tannenbaum enters the mentoring round after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with CFO Ross Tannenbaum at Avalara. Ross, we always like to once more ask you to look back here and tell us a little bit about, now it might have been at Avalara, but it might have been at that first company too. I know you, uh, when you arrived in a finance leadership role for the first time, uh, you know, what is it if you could go back in time and tell yourself? What is it that you would have? And I, I think that first job at that software startup is interesting because you did climb the ranks there uh, into the strategic planning realm. And you probably, uh, anyway, I'll let you choose where you, what story you want to tell. Uh, but if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most important to me um, was really what, what, what we laid out here at Avalara when I joined, which was our CEO said, hey, when our prior CFO retires, I want my next CFO to be really, really deep in the business. You know, we really want to understand the underpinnings of how it works at the lowest level, how everything ties together, rolls up and all works. And, and I want you to really work with the team, the exec team and, and, and the senior leadership team to be able to understand how it all relates and, and how we all work together. Because you know the view was the CFO can really be that glue that binds together the business and helps drive it forward. And he just really wanted me to be deep in the business and then have this. So we had this long transition for me to CFO, you know, where I was managing uh, a number of our businesses as the GM 
and then ultimately transitioned, uh, you know, worked closely with our prior CFO to transition into the role. And so I, I think the, the, what I've learned and, and, and what, what, um, what I would advise others to do, um, regardless of how many years of CFO experience you have, um, really being able to understand at the deepest level is really important because I've worked with a number of CFOs in, in my banking career that really know the CFO role, but they're really high level on their job and they can manage the CFO function. But when you start to peel away some layers, you know, some of the fundamental underpinnings, they don't really have the grasp. And I think that makes it really difficult when you start to get into the tougher IR situations or when your business is rapidly growing and changing and, and you're trying to be a party to drive that change rather rather being you know an audience member observing and reporting on that change. So I think that's the most important thing, Jack, is just get deep in the business, understand the lower level so that you can figure out how to you know tell the story at the highest level and altitudes in different forums, but you, you really understand it. And the second is, and related is, the bonds and the trust that you develop with your peers and people above and below you on, on a leadership team are really just critical to making or breaking the company and to your personal happiness and health and, and ability to continue to stay in that organization. So really investing in bonds and trust with your peers and the people above and below you are, are critical to your longevity and to the success of the company. Well, we also like to have our guests reflect a little bit on the personal side for us and whether there's a habit that they have or part of a daily routine. We're looking for something that perhaps has kept you on an even keel over time and allowed you to perform on the professional side, but we're looking for a, a personal habit or something something that you yeah. do. Well, I'll give you what I'd say as a habit and I'll give you what I'd say as a routine. Maybe I got the definitions wrong, but let's go for it. So the habit, you know, for me, I've always been the type of personality that over prepares for everything and I'll run through walls to be the best I can be. There's something I was born with, you know, in competition with myself, which allows me to constantly drive harder, reinvent myself and move forward. I think, you know, however you're built doesn't matter, but but I think it's important to be willing to, you know, quote unquote, eat yourself, uh, you know, in the parlance of, of Apple um, and, and, and reinvent yourself and, and, and strive to take the next level and always be learning and evolving. Um, so so that, that's, that's sort of habit, if you will. The routine, you know, that I took on when I was in banking sort of uh, midway uh, in my banking career was I write down three things every morning that I must accomplish each day. And I forced myself to do those three things before logging off in the evening. And Jack, you know, it creates some late nights for me. Um, but again, it goes back to what we said before. It's really easy to get deep in the weeds through the course of the day. You know, you get things that throw you off your expectations that bring you down into, you know, detailed decision-making, but, you know, writing down those three uh, key things you got to get done every day and forcing yourself to do it has been something that's kept me on task and been able to, you know, keep on task with the strategic stuff as well as the tactical. Okay. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? So the two that I reread, you know, and I've read them multiple times before, before I started at Avalara about, a, about in early 2019, one is measure what matters by John Moore, because as we talked about, you know, how the power incentives are powerful. 
and and you've got to have metrics and measurements and you've got to measure them all the time and you've got to evaluate them it's so important and my my only advice out of that book is don't set too many and don't set too few you got to find the right medium and you got to constantly evaluate them and course correct and then the other one which is important for for anyone in any position and I've read it, I think, seven times now, is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I'm sure everyone mentions this one. I've heard it before. But it is just so important to understand how to build relationships, build trust, be an influencer. You know, CFO is, is sort of at the center of, of many different departments and can be very much that glue. And so understanding how to work across the aisles, really important. And that book gives you a lot of the tools that are valuable uh, 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 in many aspects of your career and your personal life. Well, so two great selections for us. Thank you for those. And finally, uh, we're up to our last question where we ask you to look forward once more. Well, actually, this is uh, perhaps the first time we're ask, asking you, can you look forward for us 12 months and tell us what your priorities are over those uh, the next year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, look, I, I, I'd, the background here is Avalara is that going from that dual product, U.S. centric company to a multi-product global company, and there's a number of products and businesses, you know, that we have to support, you know, indirect tax compliance, and we're growing rapidly. And so, and then we take our customers; they're moving to e-commerce, and their tax solutions are only getting more complex and costly. And so, we're at this time where we're a leader in the space. We're rapidly growing a large market. And we're trying to support this business that is moving really fast and trying to do different things globally. And so I give you three, three priorities related to that, which is, you know, building out our finance and accounting talent. We talk a lot about talent to take us to a billion of revenue and beyond. You know, we're at close to half a billion of revenue. You know, we're looking to go well beyond that. Um, and you really need the talent that has seen larger scale, knows how to do that and can take you there. So talent, really important, as we talked about constantly focused. Like I said, I spent around 20% of my time on that. Second is really upgrading our financial systems, processes, and controls to again support scale. What we've built to take us to a half a billion in revenue will not be the same to take us to a billion and beyond. And so we're really focused on upgrading all of that and taking that to the next level, not just to support what we're doing today or next year, but to support the next five years. And three, as we've talked about multiple times, is really building out FP&A to take us from reporting on the business to really driving the business and enabling us to make real-time data-driven decisions. So th those are really the three, Jack, pretty comprehensive, big lift, um, but that, that, that's what keeps us motivated and excited. Ross Tannenbaum, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. It's, it's great to be on the show. listeners, do us a favor, be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. 
Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.